0: podcast welcome i'm your host john cribs i'm here with mr
1: martin kessler hello How are you doing today martin uh just rolling around on a beach letting my curves soak up some sand you know
0: yeah yeah i know i know what you're like man just bum to bum that's the way to do it you're out to get the waves like that's that's kind of your religion i understand getting the way hitting the right <laughs> waves up in canada uh we're here with our friend and and filmmaker and uh great film thinker man i love talking to we haven't had on for uh for a minute mr jeremy workman how you doing sir good thank you so much for joining
2: us excited to be back to talk about one of my favorite movies of all time so uh yeah i've been busy so you have been
0: i'm so glad you had a minute to to join us here get us up to date what have you been working on i know you just announced a new film that is Hidden festivals as we speak. Tell us a little bit about it.
2: I've been doing this new feature and that is about this crazy thing that happened in Rhode Island. And that is a documentary called the secret mall apartment. So we can just leave it at that for now, but that's what uh, I've been shooting that. Very and Hitchcockian edited.
0: kind of title.
2: Yeah. It's, a, it's just sort of the bon- this bonkers story that happened in the early 2000s where um, a group of of young twenty somethings found their way inside the Providence Place Mall, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners know of, and found and found a space and turned it into their secret apartment on and off for four years. That's yeah. that's a crazy story. And they were just Yeah, it's crazy. And they have like so, a
0: secret passage to get into
2: there and then Yeah. Or? Yeah, you'll you'll see. You'll see with the movie, <laughs> but I mean, I don't even know how to describe it. It um, It's so awesome, and I'm really excited about it. I also really pumped that, like, I'm getting to make it, because um, I know, like, the people involved really had... Uh, there's been people that had wanted to make it, this story, and I know other filmmakers went to them, but I happen to have a really good kind of friendship and personal connection with one of the main people and who, st- who did it, and um, that has really made it so that he felt comfortable with me doing it. So essentially, just the quick of the story is this mall moved into Providence. It's this huge mall. Uh, Anyone that is from New England knows about this mall. It was this horrible sort of situation of gentrification and development, sort of gone haywire. It kind of rerouted highways and rivers and train tracks and moved people out and changed up neighborhoods. So these young of activists that wanted to do something and that's when they somehow got into the mall and found this sort of secret space and built a secret apartment which they kept going for four years
0: there was a process of kind of getting to know the subjects kind of winning them over a little bit kind of getting them on your side before things started before production kind of commenced
2: quite a bit i think that's been the case on like everything i've done you know i'm now I've done a, a, a few features now and like pretty much everything, there's always this process where it is making the subjects feel really comfortable and trusting in my vision and all that kind of stuff. And I think a lot of it just starts with just becoming friend, you know, I'm friends with with a lot of the subjects. So they feel like they could trust me, but they're also feel confident that if I have to, you know, go to a, a harder place, they're okay with that. Um, So maybe it's a little bit more like the kind of projects that I'm interested in as much like if I was doing this, a documentary on, you know, George Clooney, which I never would do. um, I don't think that would that would start with me being his pal. But that's been the case with like with this one as well.
0: Getting to know a 18, 19 year old domino toppler YouTuber has got to be like a process, right? It's not like you can just settle in and you immediately have so many things in common.
2: Yeah, so that's uh, that's in regards to obviously Lily topples the world, which when I started making that documentary, she was a freshman in college. So that was also, but she wasn't just some kid. You know, she was already an internet superstar when I started that documentary. So it was also the same thing where it was about kind of getting her feeling comfortable with me and getting to know her and getting to know her friends and of embedding in our world a little bit. And that's always been something that I've tried to do. Um, and yeah, it just also ends up being better in terms of the material you get, you know, so for any doc filmmakers out there listening, you know, it does really make a difference when, you, when the subject is comfortable with you. I mean, you don't want to become too close to them, or of course there could be questions about, you know, editorial authorship and issues like that but just getting you know having a subject feel like you're the right person to make the movie i think is really important it's got to
0: have been a little bit easier for your most recent documentary that just dropped since the subject does not appear in the film itself (laughs) there's a (laughs) little bit of a distance there but 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 is that a little bit more difficult to kind of access a subject who's no longer around
2: Right. Sure. And that it refers to this new short documentary that I have premiering at Tribeca um, Film Festival in June. So uh, sort of amid all my other projects, I was approached to do a documentary about I mean, it was so like not my normal you know, sweet spot. It was a political documentary and sort of an activist story about abor- the 1970 New York abortion bill a producer came to me and was like, you know, do you want to make this documentary? And um, it was uh, super odd that he came to me, like there's literally nothing in anything I've ever done that would suggest I should be a filmmaker making something about abortion. But um, he came and I kind of re- was kind of got into the story and, and decided to do it. So the story is, and it's pretty incredible, um, maybe some of your listeners might know this, but it's been kind of a lost story to history. Um, in 1970, the New-, New York had a bill that was coming up that was going to legalize abortion. And at the time, it would be the most liberal bill, you know, in the history of America. So this is before Roe v. Wade. And it it was looking like it was not going to pass. And they voted it and it there was a tie. It was 75-75, whether it was going to pass or not. And then they were about to announce that it didn't pass because it didn't get the majority. And then all of a sudden this um, little known assemblyman from a small town in upstate New York asked for the microphone and he like steps up to the the podium and gives this like big speech about how he has decided to change his vote at the last minute. He was conservative and he decided to support the bill to legalize abortion because he knew he had to do it even though he knew that it would destroy his career Which it did. Um, So he 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 says yes to the bill and the bill passes. It becomes legalizes abortion. And then Roe v. Wade is based on this bill. And in some ways they use this bill as a precedent to now push through Roe v. Wade. And then this senator whose name is George or sorry, an assemblyman um, whose name is George Michaels, like the singer, um, his career is destroyed. And he's completely, completely forgotten. So some so I made that as a mostly archival documentary, you know, like how you would see like, where it's just, you know, like one of those kind of pedigree, kind of New York Times type documentaries, and it it came out really good. So um, um, that's gonna premiere next month.
1: One thing I really liked about it is that it's it's a character piece. Like I think sometimes political documentaries, it's hard to find that emotional in. And in this case, it's interesting to see how you approached his, his moral fortitude, his willing to sacrifice his own career to do something he believed in and the role his family played in that. And I, I think like how it all, it's as much about a person as it is about the political ideas that extend out of that.
2: Totally. So in some ways, you know, I've been sort of saying to people like, oh, it's not this big, you know, pro choice movie. It's a movie about somebody making people that have to make a hard decision. And, you know, as you said, like moral courage, you know, and um, and that was what really connected with me. So it's sort of not really even about the case as much as it's about like standing up for what you believe in. And uh, yeah, I interviewed like he's no longer alive, as John pointed out. Um, So that was like a whole different thing for me, you know, that like now I'm making a documentary on somebody who's no who's not alive and is not the main character. It was also so different for me as a filmmaker, because most of my movies are kind of like the movie we're going to be talking about tonight, which is, you know, I'm usually just kind of filming them very informally. It's me with a camera. I'm kind of running around with them. It's very present tense. It's verite footage, which is like, a you know, a, you know, obviously, you know, just kind of very authentic handheld. And this was like so different. And I, I, so that kind of interests me, you know, doing that as a way because it was so different from what I was used to doing. And you have so many of your subjects are artists is
0: another thing, you know, guys who are kind of doing their own thing creating their own art at the same time that you're documenting them doing the art although i will say michaels is like a capra character in this film in a yeah. lot of ways his little his very melodramatic speech where he has that line what's the use of getting elected or re-elected if you you can't stand for something <laughs> yeah you see jimmy, jimmy stewart doing it right.
2: yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's very capra um and yeah i mean people watch it and they're they're in tears because they're just not Used to that, they're not used to politicians like taking a stand on something. Yeah, you know, so so it's been fun, and I'm excited to. Yeah, if anybody you know wants to chase it down at Tribeca, um, that should be pretty cool. It's playing it a bunch of times, and hopefully, it'll get some sort of rollout after that. I'm not sure where where we're going with that, but it should get out there. But yeah. Meanwhile, I've just been editing, editing a ton on the Secret Mall apartment. Do you know that there's this incredible connection to to our little inner circle here about who's editing it with me? No, no, no idea. Oh, I'm getting, I'm getting, um, you know, shaking <laughs> so heads. Shaking no. Head. So I've been editing this with another editor, and it's the first time that I've had um, a, a co-editor. All my films, I've edited myself because kind of my background is in editing. As much as anything, so this is the first time when I've really invited a another editor to to work with me, and um, it's he's one that's not even in the country. And anyone care to guess who this might be? Martin Kessler. It's not me. (laughs) Not Martin Kessler.
1: (laughs) I'm wondering if it's somebody I know.
2: I think it's someone you know.
1: Who could it
2: be? Paul Murphy. Oh, Paul Murphy.
0: I should have guessed. Okay, of course. of course. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. Paul's amazing. It's fantastic.
2: Great collaboration there. Yeah, so he's incredible. He's an incredible editor. Amazing. And he's been working on the Secret Mall apartment with me. One thing that I didn't mention about the Secret Mall apartment is the guys that were in the Secret apartment, they filmed about 30, 40 hours when they were inside you know, building the apartment and living in the apartment. And Paul's been really um, working on a lot of the footage of that original footage. That's to get really The cool. Peter Jackson treatment, like making it really pop. Yeah, yeah, he's making it pop. Yeah,
1: and also Paul's really good at like, investigating rabbit holes and just going he down
2: and down into them <laughs> he's really good at rabbit holes and this is a total rabbit hole um yeah and i'm also just you know this movie's also doing like bonkers stuff that you know we could get into it once we dig into our our big topic of conversation but i'm doing a lot of like real like meta stuff and you know recreations and recreations of recreations and like Characters of documentary that are acting in the recreations and you're sort of watching the process as it, as the movie's made. So there's a little there's this element of it having, you know, similarities to a movie from 1928 that we're going to be talking about shortly. That's fantastic. Every
0: everything you've told me about this project just gets me more excited every time I hear more <laughs> news. I wouldn't have guessed Paul Murphy because he's an international guy. So sometimes he's in New York, sometimes he's in yes. Australia. Can never yes. keep up with him. So yes. yeah, that's that's. But fantastic. it's been
2: great. He's been great, and and you know um, we've been kind of collaborating, and he, you know, we're on different time zones, but we kind of, you know, I think we're we're both just having such a great time. Like I send him cuts, he sends me cuts, and it's like. I I, it seems like the two of us are just like having the best times of our lives, just editing this movie. It's so bonkers. I don't know if that'll make an amazing movie, but it's just been really fun to make.
0: (laughs) Well, I just love to know that you're out there. A man with the movie camera. Yes. Going around shooting movies. That's what I want to know, that Jeremy Workman's out there getting it done, which is the my very sloppy transition into what we're going to be talking about. Zeke man, the man with the movie camera from 1928 and
2: usually wait is did 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 all of a sudden like all your listeners just you know turn off the uh, this podcast the moment we said damn in the movie camera (laughs) are they all just like oh my god i had to sit through that in film class oh my god i'm not i don't want to talk about that that's definitely that wasn't the film i had
1: to sit through the the one in film school that i had to sit through so many times was uh, Battleship Potemkin, either in whole sure. or just the, you know, step sequence where it was like, at a certain point, I've, like, I've seen it. I never want to see it again, I'm <laughs> sick of it. Like, I get it, I get it, montage, collision, bang,
2: whoa. Well, isn't, you know, art isn't in the, you know, in the great video store of the sky, you know, isn't Battleship Potemkin and man with a movie camera on the same shelf? I don't know I'm if not sure are. if I'd put them on the same okay. shelf.
0: I don't know if they are, because God, I'll tell you God. my experience in film school, when they showed us stuff like Battleship Potemkin and D.E.W. Griffith and all the other, like, you know, starting from scratch, going from there, I actually was upset that they didn't show Vertov earlier. Mm. I felt like day one should be this movie. Yeah. I feel oh, like yeah. this is a film that more than any other, I mean, I watched the, you know, uh, the Odessa steps, and I don't think, oh, I see, I get it. I know what to do. I can grab a camera and go out there and do this. Uh, this that's what this movie is for me. That's what Vertov is for me, is like, this is the Kino eye, right? This is, you know, yeah. you're going out there, you're going to document something that no one else can see.
1: That's like the point of cinema. And that, that's a nice thing for people who are going to grab their own movie camera. What, yeah. what I think is funny to me is that like... I think it was on Wikipedia when I was looking up Man with a Movie Camera. It was like, ah, yes, a documentary about urban life in Moscow, Kiev, Odessa. Like, that's, that's not what it's a documentary of. It's a documentary of the potential of cinema. It's like, here's what you can do. You can slow down time. You can freeze it. You can split it in two. You can do all these incredible things. And it's exciting. And cameramen are risking their lives. And, like, it's about... possibilities of film it's not really about a day in the life life yeah Yeah. it's not that at all like i
2: i don't think it's not a documentary about a
1: basketball
2: game (laughs) yeah so (laughs) so essentially man with a movie camera which i assume like most of your your listeners probably have seen you know or if they haven't i'm sure it's on youtube right oh yeah i Uh, i watched the
1: on youtube there's like a version that is somebody upscaled it to 4k oh, wow. and put it in 50 frames per second and used ai to colorize it and i would recommend not watching that oh version Oh my god, <laughs> that's not the way to see this movie my jaw dropped that <laughs> well
0: this is the, why this is the perfect movie for like workmen to, to cover because you know there's always the thing where you're like oh i'm sure kino when they put out a dvd of this i'm sure that that's a perfectly fine version and of course you got workman being like Wrong soundtrack. Yeah, yeah,
2: totally. You know, oh, so what yeah, I did so... was
0: I threw it up like on my big screen on the DVD yeah. and had, you know, the version that you sent to us. Yes. And I could see right away framing trouble, you know, yes. bad color on the DVD. Sure. Like it was wrong. So sure. So, I yeah,
2: all transparency, you know, I said I said when you guys invited me to come on, I was like, look, this is, you know, I love Man with Movie Hammer. It's my favorite movie, which sounds really pretentious, you know, especially coming no, from. No. Yeah, but it's literally like I, my favorite movie. I've seen this movie like a million times. Um, I mean, I, I yeah. didn't know this about
1: you beforehand, mm-hmm. but the second John Cripps mentioned to me, like, oh, yeah, Jeremy's a big burtoff fan i thought that makes so much sense i remember um like i remember when you showed me an early cut of Lily topples the world i said something really stupid where i'm like it's kind of fast (laughs) (laughs) you know of course i i was uh like what what you're doing was completely right but like i was thinking back about like oh yeah you know the imagery of the dominoes toppling over and then connecting that to those um i think she goes to rome right and there's like the columns and like visually connected i'm like oh that yeah. like that's so vertov actually or vertovian as i've
2: now learned to <laughs> say. Yeah, yeah i mean it you know it of course it's like super pretentious to like hear a filmmaker talking about me on the movie i mean like of course it's almost like it's like a cliche of a cliche but literally this is like a movie like that i worship and um i i've really lo- like i think i've it's been like on my personal like Mount Rushmore probably since I was like sixteen or seventeen. I can even show my my real my chops where I was in Moscow, um, and I went, <laughs> I went to the grave site of Siegbertov and I went to his grave. Um, also, it's the same cemetery that Eisenstein is at. It's a very famous cemetery that. If anyone not these days, obviously, but if anyone finds themselves in Moscow, it's like an incredible visit. Um, it's called like the Novo Dici Cemetery or something like that. But Eisenstein's there, Veritov's there, um Uh, Pilatozov's there a few others are there as well and it it was just awesome so yeah like literally like I've made pilgrimages to his grave Um, I
0: love that you just happened to mention to me that you recently visited Orson Welles's
2: birthplace I did I did I was in Kenosha Wisconsin and I went to Orson Welles's birth house that is a true pilgrimage there yeah yeah you gotta do it (laughs) you know if you're if you're going I'm going to Korea next week and I'm trying to figure out like okay there's got to be something weird I could go visit That's another story. Anyway, Man with the Movie Camera, you know, it, and as you started mentioning, you know, it has a lot of versions. It's one of these movies, you know, it's made in 1928. It's a silent film, it's Russian. So it's kind of like popped up in the public domain, and there's different versions, there's different uh, scores. Um, The score that I really just love is the Michael Nyman score. You know, it's just incredible. Um, A lot of different uh, composers have done it over the years. Sometimes, you see it live with a live band. I actually, the more the most popular store, score is by the Alloy Orchestra. And I actually saw that live um, at Walter Reed in New York City. I mean, it must've been like 15 years ago um, and instantly hated that score, like hated it. Like <laughs> like I was some, you know, like I was like Walter Sobchak in Big Lebowski. Like I was like, oh, you know, I can never. You know, I'm never going to listen to that. So I, I really despise that score. And that's the popular score, the Alloy Orchestra. The, yeah, the Michael Neiman has a
0: whole, like, pretext saying, saying, like, these were based on notes that Veritas yeah, left yeah. and all of this other kind of stuff.
2: Yeah, and it's a lot of music that's, like, made from, like, found instruments and sounds of, like, clickety clacks of spoons and... and you know, weird instrumentation and what do they call it? The Jaws harp or, you know, that and just like weird sound. I I hate the score like so much. I hate it. I hate it. And I love the Michael Nyman score. And Michael Nyman, who obviously is this incredible composer that I'm sure all your listeners also know his entire body of work. You know, he's obviously done a ton for you know he did the piano score and he did the peter greenaway scores and he's done a lot for michael Wing. ravenous oh yeah good good one the yep. weird score that he did on Revue. that's a weird score but i like a that one a lot yeah. so he's awesome he's like equal he's the he's probably the person on planet earth that i know is more obsessed with man with a moving camera than i am um he's he's like made like one film in his life uh he's you know this incredibly successful you know, composer, I think he won the Oscar for piano and he's made one film and the film was him <laughs> recreating man with a movie camera with his own really? crappy video camera. Yeah. Really? That's yes. It's called Nyman with a movie camera <laughs> and it's, it's, you cannot find it anywhere but he recreated it shot for shot. And he's like done scores and he's like, he's doing something else about it. I think he's doing an opera about Vertov. Like, he's just obsessed with, with this movie in a way that uh, I, I totally can understand.
0: Well, the score is really interesting. I mean, it definitely stays out of the way of the images, which yeah. you can't say for the orchestral score at all. And I mean, I, I prefer to watch silent films silent more often than not, you know, really. Although I do I, I love, like to. Uh, I, I, like, I like a live orchestra. <laughs> I do like going to a screening like that, but in, in general, I'm just fun. at home, like, I just want no
1: distractions. So, sometimes I'll just like pick my own soundtracks. Like I'll throw on like Philip Glass or something yeah. like that. I'll just like pick something that I like to listen to to go with it, even if it's not made to go with the images or it's not a perfect fit. Sometimes it's just. You seem like you would be good at picking like an interesting soundtrack. <laughs> oh, to go sure.
2: on, anyway. sure. Did, have you guys seen Man with Movie Camera like since?
1: College? I mean, going back to when I was on FlixWise, it was going through the sight and sound list and. Uh, I wasn't on that episode, but uh, I remember watching it around around the time I got involved with that podcast. And that was like number eight on the sound, sound list on the last one. So it was right up there. <laughs> so that's definitely one to watch. And for a long time on Flixwise, the artwork for the website was based on Man with the Movie Camera. Oh, was yeah, the, I, I know. You know I, did it make this uh, new
2: yeah.
0: list, the most recent
2: one? It must have, right? It did. I believe so, yeah. I believe it's still consistently the highest rated ranked documentary, always. And even calling it a documentary is, is uh, a That's question. what
0: have going to be. My yeah. like, very yeah. next question to you, sure. is it a documentary? What do you think? I mean,
2: you know, is it a documentary? It doesn't look like a documentary. You know, I mean, just a little context for the viewers or the listeners, I should say. Um, you know, here's a movie that came out in 1928-29. Um, so it's a little later than you think. Like sometimes you imagine this as like a much earlier movie. And documentaries, which were these pieces of nonfiction, they were mostly, you know, they were like those Robert Flaherty movies. That was really what what Nanook of the North and they were ethnographic films and they were usually kind of quasi real and they were kind yeah. of showing you exoticism. Like the, I just the, wrote a thing on King Kong. So I was writing oh, really? about Marion
1: C. Cooper and Schützack, yeah. and they started off doing those types of like, exactly. They, they were like sort of travelogues, sort of ethnographic films, a little bit of like fictionalized adventure and then some real documentary stuff all kind of woven together. Like there, it wasn't really a codified thing of like, oh, documentary is reality. It was a little bit more acceptable to fake things or stage things to make yeah. them. Interesting. I guess.
2: (laughs) But you know, in some ways, like Nanook of the North is more similar to like documentaries today than Man with a Movie Camera, you know, it it is still very, I mean, that's like a hundred years ago and it's still kind of like what documentaries are in a way. And then, so then this movie sort of just kind of pops out of Moscow, um, or I guess, yeah, it was maybe, you know, um, he was filming in Odessa and Moscow and um him and his brothers obviously well i'm sure we'll talk about that and um you know it's just like unlike anything else that had really come before it um where it's you know doing you know as john has sort of alluded to it's doing like all this stuff and it's kind of fracturing time and visual layering and just kind of using all the tools of cinema and it's playful and it's weird and it's about montage and it's about editing and it's about the process. And it, it's just so, it's so, it, it has so many layers that you watch it. It's like this sort of compendium of every film technique that there's ever been. And, you know, this is a movie that was made a hundred years ago and yet it still feels like weirdly fresh and, you know, like you're just watching something completely unlike anything else. And, and it, it like, it can't exist as anything, but, a piece of cinema. And, and I think that's one of the things that like Veritov was going for. He was like, okay, we're just going to you know blow the roof on this idea of cinema. And I'm going to make this thing that can't possibly be recreated in drama or literature or theater or photography. It's just, I'm going to make this thing that only could exist within this new art form. Yeah, it's a it's a it's it's later than I think a lot of people realize. Twenty eight, twenty nine. It's know, true. Think...
0: It's not until you start mm-hmm. to watch and you realize you're thinking, you know, you sent us the documentary on uh, and his two brothers, the Kaufmans. Yep. One of them, of course, being Mikhail Kaufman, who shot it, and uh, it's featured in the in the movie is the man with the movie camera, the epitomist man with the movie camera. Uh, but Boris Kaufman is working with Jean Vigo at the same time. And yeah, he's doing and... Apro, Apro de Nice, and uh, I can never remember the name of the one with the swimmer, it's, it's but you know, funny. like. Uh... <laughs> yeah, let, uh...
1: L'Atalant. L- L- uh, L'Atalant. Yeah, th-
2: thank yep. you. I always um, the Apropos the, the, like... Denise is the closest thing to a man with a movie camera, right? So. Mm. I don't know if you've seen that, but that's the one where it's like, because a lot of, you know, also, I you know, I'm speaking to like, you know, I'm reminding everybody when they went to film classes in college, but there were these things called city symphonies, right? And you, you know, it'd be like Berlin, Symphony of a City. Right. And they, there was one on uh, Manhattan called Manhatt- Manhattan, Manhattan, and they were just these like documentaries that I guess were like the idea where it was like a day in the life of a city. And it was like exploding the idea of like what documentary was. And you could run around with a camera and you could film people going to work and you could film in the factory. And it would sort of show like all the aspects of the city. So this became a genre um, in the 20s. And I'm, I'm like I said, I'm sure a lot of the listeners are, are aware of those kind of movies, but they weren't like this one. Um, this one is just so weird that and so crazy and so... Just bonkers that you're just like well it, it's not it's not just like a profile of a city it's like something all different altogether.
0: Yeah, I mean, just the use of slow motion, backward posing, other images, and things like that. I mean, there's so many different experimental things at hand. Just to go back to film school, I'd say I have not re- watched this movie since film school, but I've returned to this book Kino Eye you know, many times. I just have to say I love I just love holding this book. I don't know what it is, what the, how they printed it, but it is like one of my favorite, just from a textural point of view,
1: just yeah. like love these pictures. I had the one with the white cover and it's it's always like wider than the rest of my book. So it sticks out in my shelf in an annoying way. But it's a fantastic same thing with my um, Tarkovsky book. It's like always sticking out too much on the shelf. Oh, Sculpting I get that. that Tarkovsky sure. book.
2: Sculpting in, Sculpting in time.
1: It's like Sculpting too wide. It's yeah, like just sure. <laughs> make it regular books. It's, <laughs> yeah.
2: it's crazy like that. There's this like manifesto, this Ziga Veritov manifesto. And it, it, it's obviously hilarious. Like when you're in film school and you read it and yet. <laughs> it's still occasionally
1: contradictory and
2: uh, yeah sure but i mean it's still something that like i'm literally thinking about all the time um, yeah those, those things and it has a lot to do about like fracturing story and editing and the power of editing and using montage and how to use the techniques of cinema to immerse a audience into a story and Parallelism and movement and cutting on movement and using, you know, sound. I mean, it's just, it's literally like so many techniques that are still, still, you know, working today or coming out of that movie. My professor, film professor, turned it into a mem. He would be like, you know, I, you know,
0: do like oh, a really? thing every time. He loved it. Yeah. He, he just loved it. He goofy is. as hell. But <laughs> the specific thing from this that I wanted to get into, obviously, the Kino Glass versus the Kino Pravda, right? The Kino Glass being the idea of what the eye does not see, right? That it expands all cinematic means and possibilities to show you something you can't just see walking down the street versus Kino Pravda, which is true through cinema, right? And I was thinking specifically, Jeremy, about uh, two of your films, or just you know your most recent film deciding vote, which I hope that you, know, you don't find this insulting or anything. I think you already have a little bit of distance from it. You kind of consider it more of a collaboration, not really on par with some of your other work in terms of like how much personality you put into it. But I kind of think of that as kind of the kino Pravda, right? They're like, you're learning a truth through seeing it, but usually your films are a lot more of the kino gloss, where it's like, we're not just like learning about Lily Havish. Like we are like, we see who she is through your film. Like you're, you are having a relationship with her artwork or Matt Green, you know, like that's a, that's a story, you know, walking through New York in the world before your feet, where it's like you might not like you may hear about them be like oh that's cool that's interesting but like actually seeing it and the way that you present it gets to that essence and kind of like breaks through that truth in cinema a little bit further
2: yeah i mean i, I think that that's definitely true i mean the the influence on man on the movie camera just in in my own day-to-day is pretty incredible because not just my own movies, it's like, you know, I also edit movie trailers. And and if anything is like so rooted in, in the Vertov style, it's movie trailers. Um, mm-hmm. And just like using editing and this kind of intensity of editing. But coming back to my films, like, well, first of all, like The, the World Before Your Feet, which is about Matt Green walking every street of New York City... You know that is a literally it's like a city symphony. It's literally like one of those movies of uh, that we that we mentioned. You know, a genre of a movie about a city. Um, so again, you know, it, it it just it it sort of shows you where my head is at in a way in terms of those kind of stories. And the the other thing that. Um, is very much part of like how I think about storytelling is in themes and in ideas, as opposed to that kind of pravda truth chronology informational, thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I always, you know, every conversation I ever have with anyone is always like, "I'm not trying to make Wikipedia." You know, literally, <laughs> that's like a line I repeat like you know five times a day. Yeah, and um, also
1: like the uh, the kino pravda like is not necessarily that truthful. Anyway, there, there's like a lot of reasons to be ambivalent about the kino pravda and newsreels and like especially some of Vertov's later propaganda type films like yeah. like not Man with a Movie Camera but I'm thinking like is Lenin film the Three Lenin, Songs yeah. for Lenin and Blood for Blood Death for Death yep. um, and like a lot of people were very critical of Vertov for yep. the way that he would propaganda is including like, eisenstein. eisenstein including Katie. eisenstein I, was, I almost made a joke when you were talking about visiting the cemetery like are they giving each other side eye from their tombstones <laughs> right. but right. uh <laughs> when i read uh what, one of my favorite Alexei german quotes he's somebody who could be like really critical of other filmmakers but uh, this is one of my favorites that he said the brilliant ziga vertov is probably in a privileged corner of dante's hell now he invented what we knew about our country he lied about everything <laughs> which i thought was like a really great like sure. summation of you know Vertov, both brilliant and also maybe ultimately damned in some way i don't know if you feel that way about him but talking yeah, I... about it as like truth i i don't know to what extent he even really was interested in truth for somebody I, who I, like invoked it a lot i think like what, what's great about man with the movie camera isn't that it's like this is the, the truth of reality, even when he's talking about like uh, or showing uh, filming, you know, homeless people or, or whatever. It's it's like re- reality feels so far removed from what he's really interested in and good at. And it's all about what he can construct and deconstruct and then reconstruct and all mm-hmm. of that stuff. Like to me, that's the real brilliance of, of Vertov.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think there is a real like he's trying to show like movie making is magic and editing is magic and it's not real you know and, yeah. and i think there's all these things in the movie where he plants those ideas you know you see obviously there you know famously you see an editor literally his wife editing the movie and she's got the razor blade out and she's editing scenes and then later you see you know the same boy that she was editing Um, earlier in the film, you see him later in the film and he's actually in front of a magician um, and he sits on the side of the street. And you start realizing that like, oh, cinema is all, and and these stories that we we are taking in as fact and as truth, really what they are, are constructions.
1: Yeah. Like, it's funny when you have these documentaries that are sort of, they'll make the documentary filmmaker a part of the story. And then there's the scene where they they go over the footage that they just shot and kind of like side the table and you're like, it's all edited. Like, it, it's not
2: like they're making the movie while you're watching it. So yeah. like it's, it's an yeah. illusion in some ways. Well, one of my first yeah. documentaries, my first feature documentaries was the documentary on this filmmaker, Henry Jaglum. And uh, who is Henry Jaglum? And it's a good one. Um, and it does a lot of this kind of stuff too, where like Jaglam is like watching the, and it's kind of like what you're pointing out, you know? I mean, it is, I, I, it is kind of like, kind of cliche in a way, but Jaglam, there's scenes with Jaglam watching the movie that I was making on him. And you actually see scenes repeat from the beginning of the movie that come later in the movie where he's now like sort of watching it from a distance. So it's doing that like Veritov thing. Verita, what's amazing about a man with a movie camera, and this just kind of gives another sense of it is you have this movie that's like it it's got so many layers because it's this movie about the story of the day of life of the city. and yet it's also about the filmmaker who's in the movie who's filming the day of life of the city. It's also about the editor who's taking the footage of that filmmaker and editing that. Footage, and it's also about this audience that you see later in the movie, who's in a theater, who's watching the movie that they're that you are watching as well. So it has, it's like this, you know, rebus or something. Yeah, you know, it's just like crazy. It's just, it's like a, it's like an M.C. Escher.
1: Yeah, no, that, that's a great way to put it. And like, I think There's it makes a lot of things sense you remember from art school.
2: Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> like, whatever they college say, dorm, uh, my college dorm is wall.
1: like a, a constructivist and like. It does almost make more sense, I think, to like put them in relation to like the Italian futurist painters and people like that. Then, you know, this feels like a, an avant-garde work of art, visual art, as much as it is like anything informational. like more than it is anything informational. You know, it's
2: I'm going okay. to challenge okay. that. And my All challenge right. is. It's so entertaining and fun and joyous. So avant-garde oh, yeah. movies are not usually like. Yeah, I'm, I'm not saying it's. It's,
1: uh, it's again, like I, I don't think it's, it's pretentious or anything like that to say that this is your favorite film because it's a blast. It's yeah. It's it's also very funny. Like I find it's funny. Uh, like in contrast to some of the other Soviet montage filmmakers of that era, were like. You can tell that it's, like, deathly serious. Like, he makes jokes in the montage in the way that, like, images are aligned or, you know, like, there's a lot of humor and playfulness that's in the film that I, I think, like, I mean, you know, maybe there's a joke in Battleship with Temkin about, like the maggots and the bread, but <laughs> for the most about, part, it's, it's very serious. Babies. Yeah, not think, you, like, <laughs> you want
2: to hang out with Sergei Eisenstein? He'd probably be no. like, you know, so serious. Yeah, you know? he did have pretty um,
1: cool hair. I give him that Yes, one. he did. He cool hair. I'm just going to take all your funding and make a Mexican film that I'm never going to finish.
2: Yeah, exactly. Um, like, he seems like so serious with, yeah. with his theories where Veritov just seems like, okay, he's, this having, is, fun. he's yeah. having fun. He's having fun. And I think that's also you know that documentary and using documentary can be fun and 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 this whole experience can be yeah. fun as well um, love
0: humor too is life affirming like the moment where the woman is throwing mud up into the train whatever the hell her job is to like throw mud up there and yeah. notices the camera and kind of like gives it like a here you go i'm throwing
1: the mud you know? yeah like but, like it almost makes more sense if you're going to pair this as a double feature with something like it makes way more sense to put it with Buster Keaton's The Cameraman or Sherlock Jr. than than, uh, Battleship Matemkin. Like, I I think it is more of that kind of a movie of, you know, like, not exactly stunt work, but I I love the scene where um, Hoffman is, like, on the railroad tracks filming the train, and it's cut, like, he just pulls away at the last minute. Like, it almost hits him. And, you know, there's a daredevil kind of element to it. And you see him climbing on things and walking up high and going to these places that are a little bit dangerous. Like, uh, you know... Not not just the humor, but even that kind of makes me think a little bit of like Buster Keaton. I think one of the audio commentaries in the version that you sent brought up Keaton, but like I I, I do think that was good comparison where there's Something like a little bit daredevilish about being a cameraman.
2: Absolutely. Like he's on top of buildings. He's climbing on bridges. He's in he's in a crane. He's in a crane. He's walking over this crazy waterfall. You know, he's in the middle of like this fiery factory, you know, with like, you know, this iron, you know, being burned and flames everywhere. So yeah, I mean, without a doubt, it is this kind of showy story of like how you get footage and how that what that process looks like as well, you know, and um, it's very, it's so like active. It's so, it's so like it's beats. And this is interesting. Um, This is really interesting that, um, but I was going to say it's beats are so much like a modern, almost like an action movie as opposed to a documentary. What I was going to say that was really interesting is they did a analysis. Somebody did an analysis of man with a movie camera of the number of um, shots per minute. Something like that, you know, the 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 how fast the shots were, and it was the closest examples of what man with the movie camera was was action movies in the two thousands, in terms of the number of shots there are in the movie um, and how fast those shots are coming at you. It was the you bad know, boys, two of its time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it was right. completely completely blew away anything that was being played. You know in that in those decades you no, know, it's just so much faster and it's funny that martin you brought up you know how my own movies you know i try to move i try to move that stuff yeah. fast you know and this is a hundred years ago this guy was doing that you know there's there's frames you know that are like one two frames um cuts in man of the movie camera which is again really astonishing because this is cut on film with a razor blade you know so there's montages where like stuff is like flashing Two frames, three frames, you know, it's just so fast. We should mention um, before I forget,
0: because I didn't know Ekaterina Slavova, his wife, was the mm-hmm. editor of this film featured in the movie itself. As an editor, you must give a, as much praise to her, right, as you do to uh, Kaufman and, and Vertov
2: Yeah, so, so my background is as an editor. So that's how I sort of, you know, kind of got... My perspective as a director, it's really as an editor, Um, you know, I've been a trailer editor. It's really been the only job I've, I've done. And then from there I got into my own movies and now I, you know, I'm, 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 I feel like I'm more of a editor filmmaker as much of anything. This movie is like also really incredible for editing. I mean, the, the ideas of editing in here and, and what, the power sort of like the power of editing and and what you could do with editing is really this it's incredible all those like analogies that we think of like as you know oh editing's like you know you're weaving footage i mean it's literally all this is in this movie you know there's literally Shots of seamstresses and, um, you know, those kinds of things. So it, he's really thinking a lot about editing in this movie to the point where, yes, his wife is featured as prominently in some ways. Um, and you could probably make a case that this movie could just as well have been called like, you know, women. Whim- woman with woman with a you know with a splicer razor or blade yeah exactly. that should have been the sequel yeah, <laughs> yeah. um I <laughs> At also least made it... a giallo with that title <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. I also wonder like and I don't know but I also wonder if this is the maybe, is this the first time that anyone's ever seen an editor on camera in a movie
1: that's I mean, a good question I always feel like anytime you hear <clears throat> something is the first movie to do something yeah. it usually means something did it first way before like, like 25
2: years i mean, yeah, was, I was just thinking about like yeah.
1: yeah like they always say like oh yeah like godard and breathless that's the first movie to do jump cuts there's jump cuts in this like yeah, you know there's you a know, million just, jump cuts. somebody's probably this. if you think somebody did it for the first time somebody true. probably did it like decades earlier
2: true and there's probably some yeah. silent film where it was like about the making of the silent film yeah, yeah you like, saw everything yes um but as far as i understand and as far as like the Legend has it. Man with a Movie Camera literally came and, you know, sent shockwaves through everything and was kind of the first time anyone had seen a lot of these techniques um, in a movie. And, you know, what does that mean, like the techniques? Well, it's kind of like what John was saying, you know, it's like this kind of... I don't know, it's like a Tony Scott movie or something, you know, yeah. where it's just, <laughs> right. just, you know, you watch, you watch like Darren Aronofsky movies and you're like, oh, you've seen Man with a Movie Camera, haven't you? You know, or uh, Christopher Nolan. And, you know, you're like, oh, I, that shot's from Man with a Movie Camera. So, you you know, it is really um, interesting, Brian De Palma, obviously, that so many of these techniques that we've seen in movies in these hyper-stylized ways you could find them, you know, at the 27-minute mark of Man with a Movie Camera. I mean,
1: it goes back to, I think, what John said about why didn't they show this earlier in film school? Because this is a film that you watch and you immediately want to try those things out. Like, it makes perfect sense to me why somebody would want to create a shot-for-shot remake on a video camera. You see that, you see that technique, and it's like, I bet I could do that. How (laughs) how can I make that work? You know, I, I think it's, like, kind of a perfect film to get you excited to push your own boundaries artistically.
2: Yeah. I mean, there's superimpositions, there's animation, there's stop yeah. motion animation. The, the
1: stop tube. motion animation is so much fun. Yeah,
2: I, I yeah, love I when mean, the camera's moving. Like Totally. So that you guys might remember your listeners that like, it's, there's like a tripod and it walks around and then the camera goes on it. And, you know, it's just, I, I love watching the stuff. I think my favorite stuff, I have a lot of favorite scenes in in this movie. I think, you know, there's this car scene, you know, where there's a car filming another car, and you see the camera man in the foreground, like cranking away, standing up in the car. That kind of gets back to that sort of daredevil aspect of it, where you're watching a filmmaker like in filming another thing from another car, and then you're realizing that the movie is filming that from another car. Um, I love that sequence. And I also love that sequence. um, It gets into industry as, as we know. And um, I love that stuff with the woman who's making the cigarettes and it's cut like almost like rhythmically as if it's like cut like a, it's like a super montage, you know, it's so well cut.
0: The cigarette scene specifically I love because he he takes the time to like acknowledge craftsmanship and something completely mundane. You know, this person is just folding boxes, you know, stuffing cigarettes in, day in, day out for however long, but, like, it looks beautiful in this movie, yeah. you know? it. It's a way where it's, like, she's really fucking good at that.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's also, like, it, it's also the editing is enhancing it, you know, where you, like, it's cutting from her eyes to her hands to the cigarettes, yeah. you know? And it's, it, yeah. everything is, like, you know, the rhythmic editing is just, like, really, really just awesome, where it's just kind of um, really punctuating that, that whole scene. Um, yeah, there's, like, reverse footage, you know? There's... There's, There's recurring images, things recurring that come back, recurring motifs that, like, yeah. we come back to all the
0: way at the end of the film and the bookends of the people in the theater, everything like that. It's a visual story told, and I'm going to go with a huge pretentious line here, a, sympathy, <laughs> a symphony of images, right? Yeah.
2: <laughs> you know, and how it's kind of presenting
0: but it. you is... kind of get buried because it's called yeah. The Man with the Movie Camera, and you're thinking, like, it's them making the movie, but you don't think about, like, and then the post, the actual editing of the movie together is part of the quote unquote magic
2: totally i think i heard that there were some shots in here that still people don't know how they were done um i think that there's like a shot of like a weightlifter and he's like you know lifting a weight and only half his body is exposed and then when he lifts the weight the other half is exposed and and you know kind of it's it's a superimposition that changes and like Mm -hmm. people to this day don't know how that was accomplished. Yeah. It's just it's crazy. And uh hundred years old. They still don't yeah, know. Crazy. And and yet it's 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 still it's really watchable and it it's really kind of brings you in and it makes you really, you know, um just kind of want to watch you could watch at any part and just kind of take part in it. And you feel like you're kind of part of of the experience. And that that's something also that I think is 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 a subtle thing that's really important. I think when, when you, when you make documentaries, is trying to bring the audience into these stories and somehow he's able to do that by like treating the audience intelligently and l- knowing that they're going to understand, they're going to get those little connections that he makes, you know, that when he makes a connection or a certain cut that the audience is going to get that. And I, I think that's also something that he's doing in a way that's really cool. I mean, that book
1: and device of inside the movie theater it's so inviting you know when the chairs flip open it's yeah. like hey take a seat enjoy you know yeah. like it, it's not uh again like I, I think this film is avant-garde but it's it's not like trying to scare people away or i mean it's sort of funny like a lot of movies that we call experimental now or avant-garde like they're not actually doing anything avant-garde it's like all been done like a hundred years ago you know the modern sort of experimental cinema like a-, a lot of it really isn't pushing any boundaries actually but you know i was thinking too like the i love the the s- slow motion in it and it reminded me so much of like the slow motion in um uh, seven sam Ryan. and mm. i was thinking like how oh, curse i w- might have might've been watching this and it's oh, just sure. one of those things that's like in the DNA of, of like all of cinema to come yeah. after. So.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's no question that like you, you really sort of feel its influence in, in a lot of ways. And um, it's not just with, you know, the, 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 it's like with every movie and and a lot of documentaries, you know, documentaries now are really trending towards this kind of like n- you know, I, I, easy way to say it is like, it's this kind of meta thing. And even also there's a trend in documentary about subjects participating in their own storytelling. Um, And that's another aspect where, you know, st- this kind of really kind of straightforward representation of, you know, here's truth on camera ha- is just getting like fractured. And
1: yeah, I or, almost yeah. feel like, like some documentary filmmakers are almost like overly predisposed with the ethics of truth and you can yes. kind of like ethics, your way out of making a, a real movie.
2: Uh, I, <laughs> I know, mean, I, I, in some way ways out. I'm, I'm kind of like, yeah, I'm <laughs> really. Appre- I, I appreciate that because, you know, I, it's always something where like, I'm, I'm, you know, I think from my own perspective, I'm trying to kind of, come to documentaries a little bit more like okay well they, they should be pieces of they should be movies you know they should yeah. be pieces of, of just they should be movies i don't want to make you know cinematic essays i don't want to make
1: like the essay essay yeah. film is kind of taken over in a lot of ways and even like blending into fiction film or i don't know like it, it, that's such a dominant thing now that kind of essay format that no i i think it's it's cool make a documentary that's an actual movie
2: <laughs> <laughs> right So, yeah, I think that there's a little of that in there as well. Just this idea that, like, you know, let's let's get off our 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 kind of high horse about, you know, what is truth and what is authenticity and just, you know, experience, experience a movie for what it is and acknowledge it's a movie and it's it's all sometimes okay. Some of my favorite
1: documentaries are ones that kind of blend in these fictional elements. Like I remember Vern Herzog talking about Little Dieter Needs to Fly mm-hmm. and the, the shot of him opening and closing the door a bunch of times to feel like, you know, it's not actually locked he said like that's not real that he made that up (laughs) and it's it's like a fictional element but you know it's that idea of that uh, ecstatic truth that you know maybe you can get at something that's maybe less real but more truthful or you know introducing documentary elements into his fiction films like the other way around and that sort of thing is always interested in or I always think it's kind of interesting or um you know like Errol Moore is talking about Thin blue line, like the recreations, Yeah. when he said, well, like the only one that's not recreated is the is the true version of events. It, <laughs> you know, the, the really the recreations are there to show you what what didn't happen. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, like, I, I think that's something that's lost on like some of the films that have just kind of incorporated the, the style of that thoughtlessly but
2: yeah yeah another i mean i think related to what you're saying and definitely a big point of man with the movie camera is is just the idea also of like creativity and imagination yeah. like you know you're making a movie be be creative be imaginative come up with weird stuff you know do do, <laughs> do stuff and i think what happens i i'm often feeling like in my my world of documentaries there's a lot of filmmakers who just kind of lean into the, oh, we're going to do this kind of verite approach, you know, to capture reality, and we're not going to impose any style or ideas or creativity to it, because that would somehow violate the idea of what we're doing. And in some ways, it's this kind of excuse just to Mm -hmm. make a movie a certain way, um, like, and make the movie the same way, just, okay, I'm just going to have a camera, and I'm going to be a fly on the wall. And it's so not how I think about movies and it's certainly not how like a lot of cool filmmakers that you know we all like think about movies but yet for some reason a lot of documentaries feel like well that's that's how you make documentaries and and man with the movie camera kind of explodes that too you know it has no interest in being a fly on the wall and like capturing truth you know it just has no interest in that i think there's a reason we keep bringing up you
0: know fiction films narrative films like seven samurai and buster keaton the things that really were influenced by this film because not only are they a movie guy with a movie camera filming a movie but it's ingraining it's it's ingraining himself into the art you literally see like the eye and the lens and you see the moving tripod you see all sorts of you know different kind of like integrating themselves into their own artwork going deeper and deeper and i think that's kind of the Kino Glaz idea right like the further you go and now the movie camera is trying to like reach as far as it can. I think one of the quotes from Vertov: uh, if one of the film's goals was to acquaint people with the grammar of cinematic means, then to hide that grammar would have been strange.
2: Yeah, some people talk about how the movie was meant to be this kind of kind of like an encyclopedia, an index for the new art form of of cinema, and that viewers, you know, could watch this movie and understand all the techniques in one in one hour. You know, they're like, oh, okay, here's the tech here's the the here's the all the different techniques of this new art form. And um, you know, almost like a compendium, a companion movie that to help you watch other stuff and decode cinema as an art form. And I think there is, you know, I it, that does seem kind of a little bit like what's going on here he's mm-hmm. just kind of throwing every single technique into this um sure you speed it up so you can
0: see you know a, a flower bloom you slow it down yeah. so you can see a bullet from a gun you know it's like things you cannot watch on a stage or read in a book that's sort of the kind of purpose of this movie right
2: it's kind yeah of nice. and, and the only movie that i could think yeah. of that is in the same kind of you know, range of years is maybe Citizen Kane in terms of just like how how much it's trying to explore technique within within it. And it's you you could just tell. I mean, I'm there's others, obviously. Um, but that one obviously and Wells obviously is like really like trying out different ideas and using the movie as a way to kind of explore ideas. And not all of them work. And that's totally fine. That's kind of what they're trying to do. Um, Yeah, I mean, there's crazy stuff in this. And it doesn't all gel. But it's pretty remarkable that he's just kind of constantly trying new things as the movie goes. But you know, it's, it's interesting what you care. said about like it having, you know, feeling more like a fiction movie. Of course, Boris, Boris Kaufman, who was part of this and was shooting this and all that would then go on to become a, a Hollywood cameraman. So even in those, you know, and shot on the waterfront and 12 the, this Man. is a factoid that I, I keep learning, getting amazed by and then forgetting and then getting <laughs> yeah. re
1: amazed over and it's over amazing. again. I, I always forget that they're like, oh, yeah, you He's he's, uh, Zykovatov's brother.
2: It's just, like, astonishing that, like, here it has ties to, like, Russian silent movie. And yet he also, there also has ties to Sidney Lumet. You know, it's just so weird.
1: I mean, all three brothers are extremely talented and have these, like, brilliant contributions to cinema. And they're also different. Like, I don't know if you've seen uh, Mikhail Kaufman's movie, um, Spring.
2: I know it, but I have not seen it. It's, like, so different. Like, Yeah. I I think, I'm going to get this wrong, but, like, he was... um, he and Vertov, who was David Kaufman, yeah. Dennis Kaufman, they had a falling out. Yeah, they, had they a... exactly. Yeah. So Spring was meant to be his response to why man with a movie camera like wasn't good. And uh yeah. he, he was like, Here's my version of this of documentary like this, and here it is. And it's pretty, you know, it's like all the others. It's not like man with a movie camera at all. It's much more just traditional kind of straight up of this kind of genre. I actually met uh the granddaughter of Boris Kaufman. Um she went to college. Her name was Abaya and she went to college with me. And um she was his granddaughter. And she was just bad college. And I I, you know, like I said at the at the top of this episode, you know, I had been on this movie since I was like 16, 17. And I literally was like, you know, I I when I met her, I was telling like what a fan I was of her, her, of her grandfather. And, you know, I was talking about Ziga Vertov to her and she, I think she thought I was like a lunatic, but like, we definitely were like <laughs> having a moment together.
0: I would have blown it. I would have been like, your dad knew Jean Vigo. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Her <laughs> grandfather. Yeah. Grandfather knew it. Yes.
2: But you know look the movie also you know I think there's all all kinds of ways to look at. It. You could look at this movie like as a as an example of, you know, a feminist critique. You could look at it like the male gaze thing, you know. I mean, you mm-hmm. it, it very clearly is also showing that this is made by men. You know, there's a real, you know, especially with with a lot of the women subjects, there's a lot of it just kind of looking at their bodies and object object of women and all that kind of stuff that's going on sort of subtly within this movie. And I I think there's just a lot of different ways to to read it. And it's just always, it, it always is like that sort of onion where you can just kind of keep, you know, kind of peeling it and finding new ways to look at it. Um, it's wild.
0: Well, you know, Mikhail is a, a woman chaser, right? That's another thing that they established in the documentary. He
1: loved the ladies.
2: Yes, totally. totally.
1: <laughs> he made the um... Was it like a documentary that was just like about women? Yes. I haven't seen that one, but like the, I, they sort of mentioned it in the in the Three Brothers documentary. I'm like, I, I guess he really liked women. Yeah. I'm doing a
0: documentary on
2: swimsuits. <laughs> totally. Totally. <laughs> It's like you know James Tovak or something making documentaries. Okay. And Ooh. the other
0: one, the other thing I wanted to say about real quick, and I'll get off it. The the, the Zigov and his brother documentary,
2: which is a pretty rare, by the way, is a pretty rare documentary. This is a documentary from the early two thousands. That's just a it, it's it's a Russian documentary. Yeah, I think yeah. it's
1: on one of the I forget if it's Moss Film or one of those web, uh, YouTube channels, but it doesn't have English subtitles. So <laughs> I appreciate you sending the, the version that you did. <laughs>
0: Very much. And what I just want to say, they mentioned, you know, they're talking about Boris Kaufman's Hollywood career and they're like he did on the waterfront, he did 12 Angry Men. And then they kind of like jump to the next thing by by saying something like, He he shot 12 masterpieces in Hollywood anyway. And I'm like, Oh wow, 12 masterpieces. And I look them up and it's like, oh, I think you mean 12 movies guys. <laughs> After those two, I don't know if masterpiece is the right word.
1: <laughs> I'm sure they look good.
2: Right. He, well, yeah, like yeah. you, you're well telling me the world Ron of Henry world
1: Orient of isn't a masterpiece. Right.
2: <laughs> masterpieces <laughs> of 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 being in focus. <laughs> bye, by Braverman. That's a real masterpiece. Right. Wow. Um. Yeah. Just a really <laughs> weird, neat, you know, footnote of Hollywood career. Just so so odd, you know. And um yeah, I, I wonder. I wonder how this movie is gonna is gonna continue aging in a way. Um I, I a couple a couple aspects of that. First of all, it is if there's a movie that has a feel about TikTok or it, like Instagram videos or just kind of social media videos, it's very much like man with a movie camera. You know, um it feels like a lot of those kind of TikTok techniques are are also stuff that's in this movie, which sounds insane. But um, I feel like it's kind of embedded in there.
1: You know, the movie trailers that they play before the movie trailers, like yeah. the, the like little 20 second things that's like coming up soon, the movie trailer. Oh,
2: yeah.
1: Uh, <laughs> like, yeah. I remember sure. hearing somewhere where they were like, oh, yeah, like the, the limit of like the average person's attention span is like 20 seconds when you're browsing YouTube. And like this almost feels like a film that kind of comes to the same conclusion. It's like, let's let's just maximize okay the impact per the limits of the human attention span. Yeah. <laughs> and like, we're kind of, we, we're there now. And uh, it, it's funny, like some of the things that uh, Vertov wrote about like, oh yeah, in the future, we're all gonna be carrying little cameras around. And um, I, may, maybe more importantly than little cameras, we're all carrying little screens around where we can watch movies on our phones and stuff like that. But We're all constant viewers now. Yeah, yeah we're, we're constant viewers and constant, you know, filmmakers to some degree, we're always like, like you said, it's kind of a perfect film for what's even, going on right now with TikTok average, and YouTube yeah, and even you know. if the average TikToker
0: doesn't know who the hell Veritav is, the DNA oh, they is don't. already passed around. I can, I can assure passed, you that
2: one. They they've don't. seen something,
0: <laughs> you know, you just back it up a generation or two and it's like that comes from this movie, right? Yeah. I mean, it's and, just, you it's know, there's parts in everything. this
2: movie where it's like cut, 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 yep. cut, cut, cut. And it's so fast. It's such a contemporary style. Um, and all those kind of TikTok, you know, tricks and techniques and, you know, transitions, all those TikTok transitions that, you know, Gen Zers love. That's all stuff that you see in, in Man with a Movie Camera. Now, ironically though, even though we, you know, we're trying to claim that all those, you know, Gen Zers should watch this Russian movie, um I have played Man with a Movie Camera for a college audience and spoken at a college about it. And I think they were all a little confused. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I didn't feel like, I remember I did this, you know, recently. These weren't film year. students,
0: right? They were just.
2: These were. General film, assembly kind of thing. Yeah. They weren't really film students. They were okay. like communications. Oh, that might uh, yeah, change it. Yeah. They, were, they were people interested in media and they were undergrads. Okay. Um, and they were not like, you know, really like striving to make movies. They were like more undergrads who were just like interested in media. And and I think a lot of them were kind of like confused about like, what, what is this? What am I watching? What if, you know, what's the, what's the point of this? Where's the story? You know, and even, even if I, I tend to like have this very kind of you know, rose tinted view of, of the next generation, like different from a lot of people I know who feel like, you know, our the next generation is just abominable and it's going to ruin everything. I, I actually <laughs> think they're, they're doing great. Um, you know, Lily topples the world is all about a gen Z, you know, person. So, but I was surprised that they were pretty confused by man with a movie camera
0: with any specific know? comments or questions that kind of made you think this, these guys are a little, didn't quite get it.
2: Yeah, I think there was just, like, it, it, they were, con- I remember some of the, there was some questions after that you could tell they were a little, you know, just, like, not that into it. And it might just be that, like, you know, putting an, a movie in front of, a full feature-length movie in front of an 18-year-old, you're going to get a lot of people just a lot of, you know, oh, this is boring, and, oh, you know, my attention span, that kind of stuff. Or also, like, I remember film school wasn't always the best way to watch certain movies
1: because like you know you're rushing in between classes and you got to focus and you're tired and you're thinking about something else and you know you're sitting there and they put something in front of you and it's you know it's not always like the ideal way to watch a movie versus going to a movie theater and seeing it on your own doesn't term. this seem like the perfect
0: movie to throw in front of somebody with a bad I, I would say
1: <laughs> this I, i'm just saying in general like the you know it's uh you don't always know how stuff's going to play in front of students like you know maybe they'll have an exam next week i i don't know right sure <laughs> but, um <laughs> i'm just saying
2: right i mean i don't know what you could put in front of like as a student now and have them be like oh this is you know this is mind-blowing i'm not sure um uh, but i've definitely tried with man with the movie camera and it's been you know i've been on that i think it's pretty of, mind-blowing i mean yeah I mean, but you're somebody yeah. interested in, in all these things, you know, yeah, if, you, yeah. if you were just, you know, some, somebody interested in like, you know, Instagram and looking cool, maybe you wouldn't. I mean, I I'm not
0: hundred like... percent surprised. I've seen people gloss young eyes glossed over watching Texas chainsaw massacre, watching really? Mike Lee movies. Yeah. I've seen it. You know, it's, it's, it's soul crushing. Yeah. <laughs> Well, as just sort of a way of kind of wrapping it up here a little bit, Workman, this is your favorite movie. I'm just wondering, is there a specific image or moment in Man with the Movie Camera that you kind of always are thinking about or just like one specific thing or two that you kind of like keep going back to in this kind of orchestra of a film?
2: You know, I think think there's a lot of things, and I think that's what's really incredible about it. You know, I've seen this movie so many times, and... um, You know there's a there and all the time i'll be watching it and it just like i'm like oh my god this shot of the of the ship like there's this shot where like a ship goes by and i'm just like that is amazing and then later i'll be watching the movie i'm like oh that cut when he cuts from somebody throwing a javelin to a soccer goalkeeper catching a soccer ball and like obviously it's on the same trajectory I'm like that cut is amazing. And then I'm like, oh, those things that he's doing with like all the doors opening and how there's these scenes where it's all this kind of you know the the um geometry within the shot and he's cutting the shots using the geometry within the shot. I'm like, that's amazing. so i I think it's just like I'm always kind of uh, amazed at this movie and I, I i I often feel like it is a, a movie that. I could just drop in at any moment and i don't have to watch it from the beginning i could just kind of turn it on and you know there's other movies like that for me koi is another one um koi which has is less it's it's less virtuosic virtue virtuosic than this um but it also has that where you could just kind of drop in at any point and just be kind of amazed but um, absolutely
0: influenced by this movie
2: yeah oh definitely Um, I think I had
1: heard somewhere, it it might have been in the documentary that you sent, that at one point, the man with the movie camera, it was possibly going to be like a series of short films, the cameraman's journal or something like that, where it would be like six different movies. And I I think like that partly be why it it works in compartmentalization, where you can just kind of watch a segment and it's like, okay, I'm going to watch the beach segment and it still works and still plays. But also it comes together so well as this like... (laughs) singular rhythmic thing with the bookends in the movie theater like you know you can watch uh you can watch it in part or you can watch the whole thing it's still good
2: <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah um and yeah i just think also just you know how just kind of like oh i I'm, i always love just kind of like watching the, the the camera person and then it and that reminds me another documentary that's kind of inspired by this is a movie called camera person i'm not sure if you guys have seen that yeah. one but it It also kind of is playful in this kind of way where it's using footage and just kind of throwing it together. Um that's a neat movie.
1: and that's a really good movie or yeah. it's like I think it's all the it's all the footage that she shot that didn't make it into didn't the make it into other yes, other exactly. movies, and it's kind of recontextualizing it and doing all kinds of interesting things with it. yeah,
2: yes. um but yeah, just like sort of you, you know, watching. You know, you're watching this kind of this character of the ca- the man with the movie camera, and then just kind of seeing the him stop, get the footage, and then you go into that story a bit. And now all of a sudden, you're at like the, the marriage clerk, you know, and you're watching the people come and and get married, and then it cuts to that the divorces who are now getting their paperwork <laughs> to be divorced, and it just you get the it's split just, screen like it yeah, splits, now, it's, like... It's amazing. <laughs> So it's just got it's just always I feel like it's just this kind of harkens back to what we were sort of saying at the top. You know, it's just always playful. It's always joyous. It's always looking for ways to to do something kind of in this kind of, you know, with elation. And I that that's another thing that I just love about
0: it. And just seeing your background, you know, the opening shot with tiny little, you know, Mikhail Kaufman on top of the camera. There has to be some film nerd who got married. And had you know a cake made to look like a camera and the little brian groom at top of it one of them was a cameraman you just know somebody had to do that
2: oh sometime. i'm sure i'm sure it's, I'll do it. <laughs> it's definitely like it's also super like film nerd this this yeah. movie um you know there's certainly and and anytime you get into like meta you know movies that quasi documentaries you know movies that are showing the making of the movie you're gonna you're in that territory and i i feel like this is this is certainly certainly one of them um yeah there was a stretch where like this movie and and david holtzman's diary you know that one mm-hmm. those were like two movies that like literally i was like okay this is i don't need to see in any other movies other than these two and i'll just that uh, there's all these are the only two i need to see and this movie Since, still
0: as does this movie still have the power to surprise you after all these years and all these viewings.
2: I mean, I think so. I think it's always kind of offering, you know, offering more and you could like I was saying before, like you could approach it with uh, with all these different perspectives. You could look at it, you know, about Russia, you could look at it uh, as a social, you know, thing about, you know, the Russian society and what that was in 1928 you could look at it as a film thing you could look at it about truth in cinema and lies in cinema you could look at it as this technique compendium you could just look at it as like a crazy day of the life movie and even now you could even look at it in terms of story of like russia and ukraine you know this is a movie where a lot of it is filmed in odessa in ukraine so there's just a lot here and i think that like a lot of great movies that are probably talked about on your podcast you know they're just so rich you could always reappraise them in different ways and i this is definitely a case of that absolutely i'm glad we we made the distinction between you know films that
0: they show you in film school that you're like okay this is kind of like eating my my veggies here you know i gotta get this out of the way this is one that's like no, no, this is the dessert. Like, this is
1: everything that you want it to be.
2: It's also an hour. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That that doesn't hurt either.
1: This week was, like, jam-packed for me. And, like, I'm not sure I could have done this podcast if it wasn't an hour long, you know? like There there are some movies where it's like, oh, like, two and a half hours. How am I ever going to watch it? But, like, you know, this, I watched it all the way through and then, like, watched it, immediately again with the audio commentary and i already sort of you know was familiar with the movie so it was more like a refresher but again it's you're always seeing something new you're always being surprised or focusing on some new element that you hadn't really thought of before so it's you know it's it's today's filmmakers
0: don't be don't be scared of making a one hour movie. We'll still yes. go to see that.
2: No, <laughs> oh, sure. definitely. Don't be scared of like trying out new stuff, of kind of taking chances. And I think that's another thing about this movie. This is another one of those movies where like the filmmaker is like doing crazy stuff and he's taking chances. And that is cool. And we're still talking about this movie hundred years from now. So, you know, um, I, I, I think that's also very inspiring about it. And and for anyone who just doesn't really remember it or you know, hasn't seen it, just go on YouTube and just click it for five minutes. Go anywhere. Just pop it in the middle and just just watch.
1: Maybe this should be like broken up and released as a series of TikToks. It be, maybe it'll play really well.
2: I know a number of, of filmmakers who are are thinking about taking older films now and breaking them up as TikToks. And yeah, like,
1: I'm no, not being like, sarcastic or anything. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm being serious. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Whatever gets their attention. I
0: mean, just playing this on my laptop earlier today, watching it again. You know, my daughter came over and she she watched it. Yeah, for, you know, five minutes. It it, <laughs> it, it 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 brings you know it drags the eye over to it. So sure. you know, it still has that that power to compel.
2: Yeah. So totally. that's that's
0: hardening for sure. Right on, Jeremy. This has so been so much fun to revisit this. Thank you so much for coming up with the idea. Of,
2: oh, uh, of course you know, i mean all you, all you have life. to say to me is man with a movie camera and yeah. um, i'm i am it
0: just uh remind everyone deciding vote what festivals and uh where, where,
2: so it's we'll premiering it right at Tribeca now. Film festival on june uh whatever June 9th or something like that so that's pretty i don't know when this will drop but that um festivals coming up so we're getting that movie ready it'll be at tribeca about three or four different screenings at tribeca and then it'll go from there into other festivals there's already cool festivals that are interested in it and um you know at 20 minutes we're hoping that it lands at some cool platform maybe you know who knows with one of these you know magazine platforms or whatever it is that plays short films so we're hoping that might happen and then um yeah other than that everybody should look out for the secret mall apartment which hopefully will land in early 2024. lily's still on discovery channel as it expanded to other streaming Good they question. Mean, there's uh there's been a huge um, so Lily Topple's The World is going to be on Max on May twenty third, which is right. in uh, just two weeks. So it's been on Discovery and Discovery Plus um, for the past you know since it was acquired, and um, it now is going to move into it's going to be on Max. So everybody who's you know wondering what cool content is going to be on that new platform that they haven't seen, well, Lily Topple's the World is going to be on Max. So when you're scrolling through to watch Succession or Game of Thrones, you know, stop on Lily Topple's the World and check it out. Yeah, Game of Thrones fans will love it. I guarantee. <laughs> <laughs> of course, totally. <laughs>
1: it's a really thanks. great documentary, though, and like oh, I, thanks. I. What was exciting was uh when i heard people who didn't know that i knew you telling me about the documentary it's like so oh awesome. like, dude, it, it's out there <laughs> people are watching it yeah, yeah
2: yeah yeah it's cool It's a good one she's cool so i'm going to korea next week and that's in in connection with lily topples the world there you know lily has been designated some you know cultural ambassador of america and they're sending her to asia and korea and japan awesome. and korea to yeah to just be yourself and do talks and meet people and they're going to play the movie in a bunch of places so i'm heading out oh to that's so cool next week yeah it should be pretty fun I would say that the follow up mini doc could be
0: Lily topples Korea, but I guess that's a step down. (laughs) She's toppled the world already.
2: There was some talk about me doing like a sort of quasi sequel called Lily topples the world record and she would do a domino topple. That would be like a super, you know, the world's record. And, you know, look, that could still happen. We'll see. This could be your seven up series. I know it could. (laughs) I mean, look, if I, if I could be making, you know, just weird documentaries about like youtubers and you know strange people doing their weird hobbies I'd be thrilled. Excellent thanks again Jeremy this has been great. Super fun super fun anytime.